Thanks for joining us for the Connect Podcast. I'm Cole Phillips, the lead pastor of the Connection Church, and every week we're going to look into the Bible to find out how God's Word connects to our everyday lives. It's going to be life-changing. The Connect Podcast is produced every week for your growth and inspiration. You can find all the show notes at makingtheconnection.org. You can also find the podcast on your favorite podcasting service, Follow me on Twitter at Cole Phillips and on Facebook and Instagram. You'll find all the links in the show notes. Now, let's get into the study. All right, I want to welcome you to Midweek and excited about you jumping on here. So look forward to uh, getting to spend a little time with you today. And this is going to be really good, really fun. So John chapter 2, um, we're talking about Jesus' first miracle. So let's talk about miracles for a minute. Okay, what is a miracle when we talk about miracles? Well, a miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. Okay, an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. And uh, so that's kind of the dictionary definition. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, explain, he explained that a miracle is something unique that breaks a pattern so expected and established, we hardly consider the possibility that it could be broken. So miracles, are miracles possible? Well, uh, a few years ago, there was an article that was written about uh, Americans' belief in miracles. They said that that uh, more and more Americans actually believe in miracles. 55% of Americans are certain that miracles happen. 80% believe that miracles certainly or probably happen. Uh, 23%, this is the most interesting, so a quarter of the people who responded said that they had witnessed a miraculous physical healing and 16% said that they had received a miraculous healing. And so it seems like there's an increased openness to miracles, and it's it's more of a cultural shift. There's a, an interest in spiritual things, and um, and it's it's interesting because it seems like our world is getting more and more, um, you know, secular mindset, worldly, and yet there is this profound interest in spiritual things still. And so we're going to be looking at miracles here, a miracle in John chapter two, beginning in verse one. All right, so let me read that to us. We're going to read through verse 6 as we begin this story. So, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So it's interesting as you look, it says on the third day. And what's happening is after John writes the the whole deal about the word became flesh in that introduction, he starts talking about John the Baptist in chapter one. 
we see day one there. We see day two. He says, look, there's the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. And uh, he's calling these first disciples. And then day three, uh, we're here at this wedding in Cana in Galilee. And so let's talk about marriage for just a minute as we as we get started, that this event took place at a wedding. I want to remind us that marriage is God's idea. It was his idea in the beginning that two would become one. It's still his uh, plan for today. And I was looking at two factors that predict divorce, okay? Two factors that predict divorce. Uh, there's more, but the two that I thought were most interesting was first, church attendance actually matters. Church involvement matters. Couples who said they attend church uh, sometimes had a 10% greater chance of divorce. Couples who said they attended church regularly had a 46% less likely chance of divorce. So, you know, the, we've said many times the couple that prays together stays together. And staying involved in your church, you have an accountability system around you, uh, you're growing spiritually. And so, uh, so I just, you know, want to reinforce the importance of plugging in to the church. But also the second factor that predicts divorce is check this out. I think it's interesting in light of this passage, focusing on the marriage, not just the wedding matters. The more you spend on your wedding, uh, this person says, the more likely you'll end up divorced. Crazy. I'm blown away by how much weddings cost today from the caterer, the, the venue, the, the, um, you know, the DJ, all of these different, the, the, the dress, you know, all of these different things. The more you spend on your wedding, the more likely you'll end up divorced. Some of you are like, oh, no, we just kind of eloped, right? And that's a popular thing today as well. But uh, check this out. Couples who spend less than $1,000 on their wedding are 53% less likely to get divorced while couples who spend over $20,000 on their wedding are 46% more likely to get divorced. So save some money uh, when, you, when you get married. But, uh, you know, pay the pastor. Pay the, pay the officiant. Uh, I'm just playing with that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just interesting to me. And I think the interesting point is this, uh, that, uh, that we focus in a lot on the wedding. We plan for the wedding. Uh, we're we're looking forward to the wedding. We spend very little time focusing on the actual marriage, planning for the marriage, the thing that lasts. So so you've got it. That's why we recommend premarital counseling. It's so helpful. Um, but when you look back, let's get into this. You look back in um, in this culture, this Jewish culture, and weddings were so different. Um, they would have a ceremony, and then that night they would go to the, the bride's home. They would have speeches, like, say, at a, a wedding reception. But then the next day they would go to the groom's home, and that is where the party really got started. Um, and they would stay, um, you know, for several days, for up to a week. Uh, in our kinds of weddings, the focus, as it should be, is all on the bride, right? It's the bride's day, and the groom is almost like a unnecessary bystander. But in the Eastern weddings, the groom was the focus. They would go to his house, and they would celebrate, and uh, it was huge. And they would invite as many people as they could invite. 
And uh, so, you know, we saw in chapter one last week, Jesus chose his first disciples. Now he has these six disciples and they were going to change the world. He's like, come follow me. Uh, Let's go. Uh, All right, Jesus, where are we going? Uh, (laughs) We're going to a party. We're going to a a wedding, a wedding party. And uh, (laughs) you might think, okay, Jesus, if he's serious about what he's about, how does he have time for a party, right? They should be more take this more seriously. But here's the deal. Who was at parties? People were at parties. And Jesus came for people. He wanted to be with people. He wanted to serve people, meet their needs. Jesus was a people person uh, who loved people and wanted to be with people. And, and I want to remind you of this. Even at a party, even uh, at a party, just remember God is there and it's an opportunity for you to worship God, don't become a different person at a party, but but keep your faith, keep your commitment, and honor God and bring glory to God. That's what Jesus does here at this wedding party. I think Jesus' presence at the wedding and at the wedding party shows the value of marriage, which uh, the, the biblical marriage is still one man plus one woman in a committed relationship for life. That's God's ideal plan from the beginning, and that doesn't change. And weddings still mean something. And Jesus needs to be the honored guest at our weddings. He, he needs to be a central part of our, of our wedding, okay, and of our marriage. But in verse 3, we see the problem happens. They run out of wine. Now, you might think, well, all right, you know, drink something else, right? Big deal. But in this culture, it it was literally a crime with a fine attached to it. It was a public embarrassment. It was an embarrassment for the the groom, for his family, and for those who were serving. Um, And wine was actually, you know, safer to drink. Wine represented joy and celebration. So Mary comes to Jesus and she says, they've run out of wine. Now, Jesus, he says to to her, uh, woman... My time has not yet come. And Mary says, do, do whatever he tells you. Now, at this point, they couldn't run down to the corner uh, convenience store. They couldn't go to Spirits. They couldn't go to Twin Liquors. You know, and we see this, this uh, process that takes place here. And that is first Mary suggests, then Jesus resists, and then Mary insists, right? And, and so Mary knew Jesus could do something about this problem. She had been waiting from the time of his birth for for Jesus to to show who he was. And uh, so when Jesus says to her, he says, woman, um, to us, that sounds very rude. You know, it's like, why is he being so rude to his mother? But actually, the word he uses is like, when we would say, ma'am, you know, yes, ma'am. It was an honored, loving way of speaking. But he says, um, he says, why do you involve me? Or what have I to do with you? And literally, the phrase was sort of a, a colloquialism that they would say, what is there between me and you? And what he was saying was they have different ideas, different ideas of how to approach this. And Mary was just like most she also had this expectation that Jesus would drive out the Roman uh, rulers, Roman uh, persecution or occupation, and bring in God's kingdom. And Jesus was saying, it's not yet 
my time. And timing is so important. He was saying, mother, you don't understand all that I'm going to do. And I think their relationship maybe shifted a little bit at that point from, you know, her now asking something from him. Um, but, um, he was always focused on his ultimate purpose of what he had come to do, to be a sacrifice for sin and to save all of humanity, save the world. So Mary says, um, listen to what Jesus tells you to do. And, you know, Mary didn't even know what he was going to tell them, but she knew enough that whatever it was that Jesus said that they should do that. And that's still a very wise way to approach Jesus and God's word. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Do it. Mary is trusting Jesus to do whatever is right. And so Jesus begins to do this miracle. Again, on the idea of miracles, I think sometimes we get this idea that you know, we know more now, we know how science works, we're more sophisticated now, and we know miracles aren't possible. Well, they knew miracles weren't possible either. That's why it was a big deal. They knew that water didn't just become wine. That's why it was significant, and they wrote it down. Um, this had never happened before. But think about this. If we believe that God, and, and Jesus is God in the flesh, and he, create, he was there at creation. He created the world out of nothing. He created all the water. Then it's a very small task for him to transform water into wine. Now, now Mary did know something that, about the timing, that, that this was the time for something to happen. And look at what Jesus did. He responded to a very simple human need. And that tells us that no matter what the need is in our life, Jesus sees it. He cares about it. He cares about your everyday problems. Even the things that you might think are silly things, Jesus is able to meet those felt needs in our life in order to meet the deeper, real needs. You know, sometimes we need to touch a heart before we ask for a hand. Uh, we need to let people know how much we care about them. What are felt needs? When I'm talking about felt needs, I'm talking about things like food. I was in youth ministry for about 12 years, and, and I knew that um, a felt need of students was pizza. So we had a lot of pizza, you know. Um, but food, friendship, comfort, all of these things, uh, being comfortable. Um, but Jesus wants to meet those needs, but he, can, he wants to do that so that he can meet the deeper needs of our life, life itself, security, fulfillment, real love. Those are real internal needs that we have. Now, you know, we also, just as Jesus did, should never overlook an opportunity to meet needs, to serve people. Even through the normal everyday events of our lives, there's always opportunities to show God's love, to show God's power. Um, and and so he, there, were, there were these six jars that it talks about here in, in verse six. Nearby stood six stone water jars, and they were used for ceremonial, religious, uh, ceremonial hand washing, and and it, it represented purification. You know, but Jesus takes them this religion. You know, he uses it for a greater purpose. He's using it for transformation to point the way for what he's going to do to change lives, to change move from religion into relationship. It's not the rituals that save us. It's not religion, but it's a relationship 
with Jesus. And these six stone jars would hold between 120 and 180 gallons of water that would eventually become wine. And it just reminds me how overflowing um, the, the, the love, the, the power of God is. He wants to transform uh, our ashes into beauty, our fear into peace, all of these things that he can change in our lives. It's interesting because I saw some pictures. I was wanting to kind of show you what they look like, but they were clay pots, you know, the big clay pots they would use from that time period. And it just reminds me, God can use anything. He can use even the ordinary things in our lives. Uh, he can do it unexpectedly. I like to say, you know, God will use cracked pots, you know, like us. Um, but, you know, he doesn't always provide in the way we think. Uh, he uses everyday people, everyday situations, everyday uh, things to do great things. And we see here that Jesus wants to meet your needs. He can meet your needs. Even if you think it's no big deal, Jesus sees that. And let's look in verse 7. Um, Jesus then said to the servants, here's what he tells them to do, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. <laughs> I love how God uses um, us to do ordinary things, ordinary things that we can do that can lead to extraordinary results. You know, he could have done this himself, but he involved his servants so that they could be a part, or not his servants, but these servants there at the party, so that they could be involved in his first miracle. And one of the principles here is this, check this out, so important. We do what only we can do so that God can do what only he can do. Okay, we do what only we can do. We do our part so that God can do his part, what only he can do. And uh, so what did these servants do? They filled the jars to the brim, to the top. Jesus said, fill them. He didn't say how much. We said, fill the jars with water. <laughs> and so they took that literally. I, they may have been expecting a miracle, but Think about that. Filling the jar to the brim means water's heavy. <laughs> I mean, a gallon of water, heavy, but five gallons, heavy. But these were these were heavy jars. It was going to be hard. But listen, here's the principle here. When God asks you to do something, do it all the way. Don't just do it halfway. They could have done it halfway, and they would have gotten half the, half the wine, right? Or three-quarters of the way, three-quarters of the wine. They filled it all the way. And Jesus just simply does this miracle. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't do it elaborately. He doesn't say abracadabra or any magic words. He's not performing like people would do today. He just does it. And here's the thing. When you have confidence, as he had confidence that in, in God, and you don't have to draw attention to yourself. And when you have confidence in your relationship with God and you're simply doing what God is created you to do, um, you can have that kind of God, uh, confidence, or what I said on Sunday, Godfidence. It's complete. It's not confidence in ourselves, self-confidence. It's confidence in God. You know, some people look at this miracle and they say, oh, this was kind of just like a luxury miracle, just sort of, you know, unnecessary. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like raising the dead or healing the sick or anything like that. Why did he take time to do this? That's a great question, and I think it reminds us as Jesus went to this wedding that it's okay to have fun. 
It's okay to enjoy life. It's okay to have balance in life, you know, work and play. If you default on the rest and the play, you know, if you're, if you're leaning that way, then yes, get in gear and, and get to work and do something. Uh, get off the couch, do something. But for a lot of us, we would say, I work a lot and I have to intentionally take time to enjoy, to have fun, to laugh, to celebrate. And we see this in this first miracle of Jesus. Um, and then in verse 8, then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. So here is a miracle that was happening. As they were dipping out the water, it turned into wine. Like each dip turned into wine. It was like the feeding of the 5,000, where every time they broke the bread, there was more. There was more. And so it was a miracle that was like a recurring miracle. It takes constant faith to see a constant miracle happen. Now, here's, uh, here's the elephant in the room. We, we can talk about it. This, uh, we can talk about this. If you want to, um, to talk about alcohol and the place of drinking, you know, because what is Jesus' first miracle? He makes, he makes wine, right? <laughs> Some, you know, preachers would say, oh, no, it wasn't really wine. It was grape juice. You know, it was Welch's. No, it was, <laughs> it was really wine, fermented wine. Um, but I want us to understand a few things, okay? And this is, you know, from my perspective, First, they had a different culture. Their culture was very different than ours. They didn't have the massive advertising culture and marketing culture. And, and in that culture, people often, they would even water down the wine. It was two parts water to every part wine. Yeah, if you're going to drink it undiluted, that was for people who really were intent on getting drunk. And most Jewish people considered that unacceptable. Um, like when the disciples in Acts were being kind of ridiculed as being drunk. Um, and they said, no, it's just early in the morning. We're drunk in, in the spirit. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're following God. But you basically, at that point, you didn't have all these choices. You know, in the, you go down the drink aisle or the, the convenience store, you've got all of these choices to drink. But back then, it was water or wine. And you got to think of safety. You know, you got to think of... Um, contamination and all of this. Um, we have lots of options today for safe hydration. We got tea and all these other drinks that aren't associated with the alcohol culture. But for many people today, you know, alcohol becomes a way of escape. Um, so you, you look back at Paul and Peter in, uh, in Ephesians, in Ephesians where Paul says, uh, chapter 5, verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Um, and so, do, there is very clear in Scripture, in the Bible, do not get drunk. Now, it doesn't say never drink, okay? And anybody who tries to make that case, uh, that's not what the Bible says. It doesn't say never drink, but we have to look at it in terms of our culture. So let me tell you a few things. Um, let's see. Uh, so let's just talk about social costs of alcohol. Alcoholism is the third largest health problem 
Um, and more than 40,000 babies are born at risk each year because mothers drink alcohol during pregnancy. Uh, 10 million problem drinkers in America in the adult population. Uh, 3.3 million teenagers are problem drinkers, uh, can lead to suicide. All of these things, the breakdown of the family and violence and neglect. And so without going into all of that, um, I'll just put it this way. Pam and I in our family, we don't drink. We, uh, my dad was an alcoholic, you know, and I believe it led to a very early death in, in his life. Um, and so we want to, I mean, I, I have a feeling that may run in my genes as well, you know, so I avoid alcohol and we want to avoid any appearance of evil when we're out, uh, you know, having dinner. If we drink, um, and, and it's not really a desire of ours to drink, so I don't feel like it's a big sacrifice, but uh, someone see, would see us and they would think, oh, okay, well, you know, pastor's doing that, so it's cool for us. What I've found is what leaders do in moderation, others will do in excess. Um, and, you know, we have an incredible Celebrate Recovery ministry at the Connection Church, and, and we know that that is an issue that we're trying to bring freedom from uh, dependence on alcohol. Uh, one person said, well, Jesus turned water into wine, but since I've stopped drinking so much, I've seen Jesus turn uh, wine into food and clothes for my kids. Um, so that's that's the deal on alcohol, all right? Uh, who got to witness this miracle? Who saw it? Well, lots of people saw it, but the servants were up close and personal. They got to see it up close, and that tells me that when we're serving that's the best place to position ourselves to um, to see a miracle. We see lives changed. We see marriages being saved. We see futures, the trajectory of futures being redirected. You get close to miracles when you serve. So uh, moving on in verse 9, he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. And so we see the lesson here in the miracle. And that is that that our world offers us the best first and once they get us hooked, once the, once you get hooked, it's all downhill from there. It never offers the same fulfillment, it never offers the same um, you know, uh, high uh, it just goes downhill. But life in Jesus keeps getting better and better. Every day with Jesus is sweeter and better than the day before. Jesus ultimately is saving the best for last because you, throughout your life, you get closer and closer to God. And that is true here in this life, but it's true for eternity. Then it gets even better in heaven. And you've, as a believer, a follower of Jesus, there's always something better to look forward to. And verse 11 says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, Jesus' first miracle, it was kind of a private miracle. Not many people knew what he had done, but this is this is a sign. This goes back to even Moses, whose first miracle was to turn water into blood. Moses represented the law, but Jesus represents grace and, and truth, and his miracle was one of celebration. Um, and so... Uh, it was a sign, and it, the sign points of the miracle points to the miracle worker himself. It teaches something 
about God. And it reminds us that Jesus can make something beautiful out of our everyday normal lives. If he can change water into wine, he can change you and me. And not just on the outside change, but it's a, it's a fundamental change from the inside out that lasts. And as a result, this says that the disciples put their faith, his disciples believed in him. They put their faith in Jesus. So we can be like Mary. We can ask for miracles. We can be like the servants. We can partner with Jesus in the miracles, in his miracles. We can be like the disciples who are trusting in Jesus in a greater way. Now, the way I just want to kind of land the plane here is thinking about this miracle and the wedding banquet, but thinking about another wedding banquet, okay? Because whenever people attend a wedding, when I attend a wedding, I end, I end up thinking about my own wedding, back to my own wedding. And many single people that attend weddings, they look forward to their wedding, where it will be their hour when they will be the bride or the groom. And maybe Jesus, as he was talking about his hour coming, he was looking on his bride, the church. The Bible says that one day there's going to be a great wedding banquet to come at what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb in the new heaven, the new earth in Revelation chapter 19. And so Jesus' first miracle, his first sign pointed to the ultimate wedding with him and the church, his bride, uh, we are talking, of course, about User's Guide to the End of the World through the book of Revelation on Sundays. We want you to walk with us through that. Excited to learn more about that. But I want us to think about that as we think about uh, the hope that we have in Jesus, that Jesus can do anything. I want us to pray together. So, so let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, God, help us to uh, trust in you in a greater way as we see your miracle working power, your power to transform, your power to transform our lives. God, um, we want to be on the front lines of where you're working or partnering with you in the miracles that you want to work. We want to trust in you in greater ways and we want to ask you for greater things. God, thank you for um, your concern about all of those areas of our life that we turn over to you now. We know that whatever problem we're facing, God, you care, you see, and you can do something about it. And so we're trusting you to do that. We love you and we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I hope that you have a blessed week and I look forward to seeing you really soon. Thank you for joining us for this week's Connect podcast. If you liked what you heard, then be sure to like, share, comment, subscribe, rate. We want to spread this good word to everybody we can who needs to hear this message. I hope you have a great week, and I look forward to you joining us next week for the Connect podcast.